Well, Luke uh, 21, 25 to 36, that passage that we've just read. Be alert, it's going to get rough. Jesus has been visiting the temple in Jerusalem. The temple was the spiritual, physical, political, and emotional heart of the Jewish nation. It was the place which set the Jewish people apart, aside from all other, all other peoples. It was where God had said that his name would dwell. But now, says Jesus, this temple will be destroyed not one stone will be left on another. For the Jew, this was unthinkable, like the end of everything, the end of the world. And so the disciples ask in shock, when will this be? And what sign will we be given that this is about to happen? And Jesus tells them that before it happens, it's going to get rough. He tells them that there will be wars and rumours of wars, earthquakes, uh, famines and plagues. I noticed in my notes, I've written, there'll be wars, earthquakes, families, and plagues. <laughs> there will be earth persecution. Jerusalem will be surrounded by its enemies. This is cataclysmic stuff. Jesus uses apocalyptic language, the picture language that was used by prophecy at the time. Signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars distress among nations, the roaring of sea and waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world. It's going to get rough. There's a debate about Luke chapter 21. We've just read some verses later on in the passage. Is Jesus in this passage just speaking about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem? That would make sense of verse 32 in our reading, where Jesus says, truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. He spoke these words sometime between AD 30 and 33, and Jerusalem was sacked and the temple was destroyed in AD 70, 40 years later, one generation later. Or does Jesus supplement his answer about the destruction of the temple by also speaking about the end of time? So is he talking both about the destruction of Jerusalem and the end of the world at the same time? Is he saying that the destruction of Jerusalem is a sort of preview, a a prototype for the final judgment of the world? In which case, this generation in verse 32 would refer to the Jewish people as a whole. It all depends on how we understand the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. That comes from Daniel 7. Is that speaking about the vindication of Jesus when the temple was destroyed in AD 70? And Jesus, if you like, becomes, Jesus becomes the new temple? Or is it speaking, as I would take it, and it ties in with Matthew and and Mark, about the second coming of Christ? But however we understand this passage, the important thing is that Jesus tells his followers 
And through them, he tells us that it's going to get rough, really rough, before the end comes. So we need to be on our guard. We need to be alert. We need to be people who look and watch. I love meerkats. We saw them in Moscow Zoo recently, and they were just adorable. And um, those of you from the UK will know that there is just a brilliant set of adverts for uh, one particular insurance company that uses meerkats. Um, we need to be like a meerkat on watch. It's early spring, says Jesus, and Jesus tells his followers, look at a fig tree. And he says, when the leaves begin to appear, you know that summer is near. Well, he continues, when you see all this stuff happening, wars and rumors of wars and plagues, we know about that, and persecutions and people fainting from fear and foreboding, great bit of alliteration there, you know that the kingdom of God is coming. It's very easy when we see awful things, dreadful suffering, when we hear of wars or genocides or tsunamis or refugee crises or apocalyptic climate change or plagues or persecutions. It's very easy perhaps just to do something, a token, and then shut our doors close our eyes, become blind and emotionally numb to the awful things that happen in our world. We opt out. We go shopping or we seek some form of entertainment. Why? Because we're in control of that. We prefer to click on the Instagram of the cute cat clip or follow the latest celebrity for the fashion and the gossip. We opt out and plunge ourselves into an excess of living in the here and now. We get lost playing virtual games in a virtual world which we can control. And we blind ourselves to the real suffering that there is, and for that matter, to the reality of death. In verse 34, Jesus says, be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. It's the worries of this life which cause us to fear and to faint. But it is also the worries of this life which quite literally drive us to drink and to plunge us into excess. Dissipation in Greek comes from the word meaning a hangover headache. <laughs> the headache that comes after the night before. A headache that's come from excess. And it's a trap because it dulls the brain. It weighs us down. It means we do not really see the world as it, as it is. We don't see the pain and the suffering and the fear. We don't see the leaves, the signs. Don't be blind, says Jesus. Keep alert. Be real about the world that you live in. Yes, of course, there is astonishing amount of beauty and goodness. Theologians call this God's general grace, the grace that is poured out on all of us. Without that general grace, 
we would be living in some Dante-esque Darwinian hell, isolated from each other, fearful of each other, in a naked survival of the fittest world, doing what I can for myself and those I love, and trampling, ignoring at best and trampling over at worst everybody else so that I can continue to live in the way that I am used to live. But the suffering that we see, the wars and rumours of wars, creation tearing itself into pieces, are not a sign that God does not exist or that God has abandoned us or that God does not love us. Far from it. They're a sign that this world is not yet the kingdom of God, that it is the kingdom of the world, ruled by the father of lies and destruction. We're told by Jesus that in this world we will have troubles. And they're also a sign that this world is coming to an end. Indeed, as that end gets closer, it tries to fight harder, it will get rougher. But it is defeated. So be like a meerkat, looking and watching. And we're to be people who raise our heads. When you see these things take place, stand up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. We have a hope. One day, our Lord Jesus will come again. We say it in the creed, he will come in glory. I've been a follower of the Lord Jesus for all my life, and yet I have always struggled with this teaching of the second coming of Jesus. I, I have many questions. How could Jesus return in a way that everyone can see him? How will, will he come floating in on a cloud? But that seems a little bit far-fetched. Will we all have to travel to Jerusalem to see him? And when the Bible talks about us meeting him in the air when he returns, what does that mean? Will the laws of gravity be suspended? And what about the relationship between the Jesus who I know now, in me, beside me, and of whom I am a part, and the Jesus who then in my imagination would be standing like some mega, mega star on a platform far away in the distance with millions of people in between me and him. But this is where philosophy can help us because we can only think in terms of space and time. And yet when Christ returns in glory, it will be the end of space and time as we know it. So we cannot possibly begin to imagine this event. In other words, all the descriptions that the Bible gives us of the return of Christ are pictures. They're true pictures, but they're only part of the picture. There is so much more. We're like cartoon characters who live in a two-dimensional world, and somebody's trying to describe to us what a three-dimensional world is like. And one day, we will come alive into that three-dimensional world. And the truth that seem, Jesus seems to be saying here is simple. After a time of great suffering, 
a time of troubles, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, will return with power and great glory. He will be revealed as King, uh, as Messiah, uh, as Son of God. He will bring in the kingdom, the rule of God. There will be final judgment. And even though we cannot begin to imagine how it will happen, or what it means to say the Son of Man coming in a cloud, we're told with certainty that this, that something will happen. Heaven and earth, says Jesus, will pass away, but my words will not pass away. That is why when we see the terrible things that happen in this world, when terrible things happen to the people or to those we love, or even to ourselves, we don't need to be people who drown our sorrows, who bury our heads in the sand. We can be people who face reality as it is, who can still lift up our heads, waiting for deliverance and redemption. The greatest gift that we as Christians can give to this world is the gift of hope. Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, has written a recent book called Looking East in Winter. Um, he takes the title from a phrase that was used by the 5th century Bishop Diadochus. He is standing with all the forces of winter, the snow and the wind and the freezing cold beating down on him. But he is looking east at the sun as it is rising, bringing the promise of warmth to a freezing world. We raise our heads because we have a hope the new dawn is coming. And thirdly, we are to be people who trust and pray. Be alert at all times, praying that you have, may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. It's all very well being aware of these things, of speaking of these things, of keeping our eyes open and seeing the signs of the sun and moon and stars as the death pangs of this fallen world. It's all very well being told that Jesus Christ will return in glory and come as both judge and to bring in the kingdom in all its fullness. But it will make no difference to us unless this truth comes into our hearts and minds and lives in us. And that will only happen if we ask God to make it happen, to have mercy on us, to come and live with us and in us, and for us to be a part of him. And that happens only with prayer. We pray the line every Sunday. I hope you pray it most days that Jesus taught us to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Pray that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. That's what you're praying. That's what we're praying when we pray, deliver us from evil. We pray, help me to stand firm, help us to stand firm in the face of overwhelming terrors and monsters, knowing that they are a sign of the end. Help me to raise my head and to hold on to your promises. Help me to remain faithful to you. Help me to hold on to the hope that you give me, that you give us. So be alert.
That word is used nine times in the New Testament, so it's important. Four times in the Gospel, Jesus warns us to be alert because of the last days. And then he says, be alert against false teachers, Acts 20. Keep alert, stand firm in your faith, be courageous, be strong, Paul, in 1 Corinthians. Keep alert and always persevere in prayer for all the saints, Ephesians 6. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving, Colossians 4. Discipline yourselves, keep alert. The devil is like a roaring lion prowling around you. Do we get the point? Keep alert. Keep alert. This next bit is going to be a nightmare for Natalia, who often translates my sermons into Russian. And I would suggest, Natalia, that you forget this next bit. <laughs> but I hope that it helps you to remember a little bit of what I'm saying. When it says, in many places, keep alert, uh, I like to think of that as a lurt, <laughs> where the lurt is a creature, possibly a cute, cuddly creature, a bit like a meerkat, with head raised and wide open eyes, keeping alert. And this is a creature, this lurt, who looks and watches, who raises their head, and who trusts God and prays. Keep alert. Father God, thank you for the hope that you give us. Thank you that even when things do get difficult, even when we hear of wars and rumours of wars, of famine and of plague, please would you keep us faithful to you, confident in your coming, with a hope that sustains both us and our world. In Jesus' name, Amen.